Luke begins in, in uh, chapter 1. We saw his little introduction, the last four verses. He told us uh, last time that he's writing so that we would have certainty. Certainty who this Jesus is. Certainty who the, what he's done about the gospel. We don't have to guess whether, uh, whether our salvation's real, whether Jesus really did what he said he was going to do. We don't have to guess whether he was who he said he was. We have certainty about the real Jesus through the real word of God that presents him to us. And then in verse five is where we're going to start. Luke starts his, he starts his story. He starts to tell us the events that have happened and he doesn't start uh, where like Mark starts right in the middle of uh, Jesus's ministry where he comes and says uh, the first things out of his mouth are repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom is at hand. Uh, he starts not even where Matthew starts. Matthew has a big genealogy at the beginning of his uh, gospel. And then he starts with the birth, uh, the birth narratives of Christ and uh, Bethlehem and all that. Luke starts way back even before John the Baptist is born. And he's, he's going all the way back to John the Baptist because what we're going to see is that God's scriptures will always be fulfilled in God's time. And that goes through uh, what we're going to talk about, the prophesying of John coming the prophesying of Jesus, the Savior coming. But it also it also speaks to our lives. God is, we sing it here all the time, He's an on-time God. Yes, He is. You know, He may not come exactly when you want Him, but He's going to come always right on time. He's going to fulfill His Word. So even sometimes when it's hard to see, when it's hard to see, God, what are you doing in the midst of all this situation? What are you, what are you trying to show me? I mean, I, I'm here waiting. You, you told me that no weapon form can come against me. You told Told me all these promises and I believe them and I'm holding on to them, but it just doesn't seem like, you know, it doesn't seem like it's materializing today. Uh, we know that it may not come on our time, but his promises will always be fulfilled and they will always be fulfilled perfectly and completely just the way that he has promised them. So we, we go here. The last, the thing that you need to, the thing that you need to know before we start reading is in this time, in this time before John the Baptist is born, God has been silent to Israel for like 400 years. The last prophet that they had was the prophet Malachi. If you flip over to the very last book of the Old Testament, it was Malachi. And it's been almost 400 years between when Malachi prophesied the word of the Lord and he brought those prophecies to Israel to the time that John the Baptist was born. And from that time, uh, you know, God still had his people. So I'm not saying that his people, you know, there weren't any godly people or that he wasn't working in people's hearts, but there had been no prophets. There had been no, there had been no word from the Lord. They had the scriptures, they had the Old Testament, they had, but there was no, there was no more prophets. There were no more people saying, thus saith the Lord. It was almost, and it's noted in some of their writings that it's almost like God went silent. God went silent for all this time. And so they were still going on with the temple practices and the sacrifices and all of that still continued and everything still went, went on like it always had. And the, the thing that we see is during that time, everybody fell back into this ritual. They fell back into the religion. Uh, people lost, uh, people lost the, the, I don't know, the, the desire for, for, for God. They lost the desire to love God, the faith. 
that characterized their life and they just fell into religion and ritual and that's just kind of the way things were. That's what you see when Jesus does come. That's what he rebukes the Pharisees and the, the religious leaders for is because they're trying to keep the letter of the law and they're trying to keep the religious thing going. They're trying to keep the sacrifices and the rituals and they think that that's making them right before God just because they're walking the walk and doing what they're supposed to be doing and Jesus came telling them, no, 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 no. It's all about your heart. It's about you loving Christ, about, about you loving God. It's about you having faith. It's about you walking in the faith of Abraham. And that's what he told them was the, the meaning of the law and the meaning of all these things. So they kind of fell into this ritual thing. They fell into the religious thing. But God still had his people. We're going to see two of them right here. They're going to see John the Baptist's parents, uh, Zacharias and uh, Elizabeth. We're going to see these two people and they are faithful. They are faithful in the midst of this time where, as far as we could tell, it just seems like God, you know, when are you going to send the prophet? When are you going to send? They were always looking for this deliverer. They were always looking, always looking for this Messiah that, you know, it's been 400 years and we hadn't heard anything and he's not come and we're still under oppression and all these things. But God still had his people in the midst of all this. And so it says here, let me just read the first few verses. It says, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah, Zacharias of the course of Abia and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God. You see that walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But there's a problem. It says they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both now well stricken in years. So it says they got this couple, Elizabeth and Zechariah. They're going to be John the Baptist's parents, just to give you the heads up. And so uh, Zechariah is a priest and it says he's of the course of Abiyah, which is the priests were divided up into divisions. You know, there were so many priests that each division would have its little schedule when it would go and work in the temple. And then they would go home and do their regular old stuff. And then another division that was like uh, it was like shifts. And so he was of this particular division. And the Bible says that they were righteous. They were walking blameless in the ordinances and the commands of the Lord. It says in verse six, they were they were righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. Blameless. That doesn't mean they were sinless. But we're going to see before this section is even over with that Zechariah disbelieves God's word right in the midst of all this. And he's going to be rebuked for that. So it doesn't mean they were sinless. What it means is they were walking faithfully in the midst of all of the in the midst of all these people that had turned religion basically in just the, the humdrum the way we're supposed to do things the way I know we're supposed to go to church because that's what we're supposed to do. I know we're supposed to pray. I, I need to get my prayers in today because I said I'm supposed to be doing it. I know I'm supposed to be reading. I know I'm supposed to be doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing because that's what I'm supposed to be doing. They weren't that kind of people. They were following after God. They were trusting in God. They were following after all his ways. They were following after all his ordinances. They were doing what they were supposed to be doing. When it says they were blameless and they were faithful and righteous in the sight of God, it's not because they were sinless. It's because they were walking faithfully with the Lord. Okay. Everybody got that? Say amen. All right. It's, it's kind of early. And so they were walking faithfully in it with the Lord. They were they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. But something's wrong. It says 
they were childless. And in that day, it was, it's even worse then than it is now because, of course, you got the heartache of being childless and you got the, the, the parents probably praying that they, you know, they wanted, they wanted a child, but Elizabeth was barren and you got that going on. But in that day, there was also a stigma like if you, if you can't have a child, well, then God must be, God must be, you know, punishing you for something. And of course, we know that's not so, but she bore that stigma and it says they were old. They were well stricken in years. There's some people, I read a few things this week that said uh, Zechariah was like 80, you know, so if he was like around 80 years old, you can imagine, I don't know if they were still praying, you know, he's going to say later on that your prayer has been heard and Elizabeth's going to have a child. I, I don't know if they were still praying for a child. Can you imagine yourself praying for a baby at 80? You know, by then I figured you probably done gave up the deal. You know what I mean? It's like, well, I'm too old to have one, but they were well stricken in years. And there's a problem in Israel. There's a problem in Israel because the the people have gone astray. And there's a problem in this couple's life because they, uh, Deuteronomy seven, uh, Deuteronomy seven, one of the promises of the covenant says, if you keep covenant with me, none of your people will be childless. None of your people. But here, these two are faithful. They're walking after the Lord, but they are, they are wanting a child, but having no children. And so so they're faithful. It's almost like you get the sense of crying out, the, the calling out of God, where are you? I mean, you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be helping in this situation. I mean, we wouldn't probably say it that way, but you and I have had those moments where, you know, you're, you're praying for something and you're desiring something, something good. I'm not talking about a Rolls Royce, a new house or nothing like that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a new house, but I'm talking about hurting for something, a need in your life. Not just a boy, I wish I had more money, but something real, a need that God is, has promised to provide something that you are desiring. It's like, God, where are you? Or a hurt that's going on in your life and you're like, God, you said that you were the healer. You said that you were the comforter. You said that you could bind all these things. Where are you? I'm calling after you. I'm seeking after you and I I can't find you. I don't see you. I don't see the fulfillment of these things. You can kind of get the sense of that in this couple. That they were hurting, uh, for, first of all, they were hurting for a, a child. They wanted, they, she was barren and well stricken in years. She was old. But also, they didn't lose their faith in the midst of this. They were still walking after God. They were still holding on to his promises. They were still obedient to him. They were still righteous in the faith. They had no child. It's like, God, where are you? Now, here's the story. Here's how it plays out. Verse 8, it says, And it came to pass... That while he executed the priest's office before the God, before God in the order of his course, that means it was his turn. According to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple. He, they were chosen. This was a very special thing. If you, I'm not going to give you too big a history lesson, but if you think about it this way, you know the veil that was rent, you know the veil that was rent behind the veil was God's presence, his kind of glory, the Ark of the Covenant, those kind of things. Uh, that was, that was the Holy of Holies. Well, the altar of incense was right on the other side of this veil. So Zechariah wasn't going into the Holy of Holies, but he was going right up to the veil and he was going to burn incense. And when that happened, you would, what they would do is they would, uh, the, uh, a priest would come and put coals on the altar. And then uh, Zechariah, who was to burn the incense, would come and lay the incense on the altar and that would burn and it would go up. And then Zechariah would bow there at the altar and he would pray. And all the people out in the, in the big, in the sanctuary would pray as well. And it was a time of prayer, the burning of incense, the time of prayer. And that's what they would do. And so this was a, 
this was a special thing. This was a once in a lifetime opportunity because once you, once you were chosen by lot to do this, you never got a chance to do it again. I mean, this was something all the priests wanted to do and there was no guarantee that you would ever get an opportunity. There were so many people in the divisions, the courses of priests that what they did was they chose these jobs by lot just to let you know, let the, let the, I was going to say, let the dice fall where they may, but they were chosen by lot to do these things. And Zechariah just happened to be chosen at this time to go in and he was going in. This was, it was an honor, but it was also a little scary. I mean, can you imagine, you, you know, you've heard the, about the priest going into the Holy of Holies and tying a rope around his, around his leg. You know, if there's any sin, anything he's got, you know, he just drops dead and they have to pull him out. Well, Zechariah's not going in there. But he's walking right up to the curtain. You know what I mean? I mean, he's right on the other side of that curtain is the presence of God. And, and if, uh, if you get too close, this thing, uh, this thing will burn you. You know what I mean? It's like getting to getting up next to a fire. If you get too close to this thing, it's, it's kind of dangerous. And so you can imagine Zechariah's mindset. He's, he is excited. It's an honor to be able to do this, to be able to bring forth this, this worship, this, this, uh, this, uh, this deal before God. But it's also a little, you know, it's also a little scary. It's also a little, you know, he's a little, probably a little hesitant. So he's chosen to do this. He's chosen to do this. And something happens as he bows to pray. He's probably praying. The people outside are praying. It says, and it came to pass. Uh, according to the custom in verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people were praying without the time uh, at the time of incense and something happened. There appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. So think about this. Zechariah is in this place that's I mean, it's kind of a scary place. I don't know about you, but today, I promise you, you ever, we, we talk about entering his gates with thanksgiving and praise. We talk about entering his courts with praise. But imagine if before you came in, I don't know what door you came in today. You know, there was there's a, a pretty good chance that you might get struck dead if you don't come in the right way. I promise you, people would be lined up. They probably would stay home, but they'd be lined up at the door like, okay. Let me get myself ready here. I'm about to go into the prayer. So Zechariah is already thinking, you know, he's already cautious. He's already thinking this way and he's bowing to pray. People are praying outside. The incense is burning. And all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord appears. Now, I know you've seen angels on TV and you've seen all this deal. But every time somebody sees an angel in the Bible, it's not a wonderful experience. It's not some pretty little blonde girl with wings and a halo. You know, it's terrifying. Every time you see an angel, even when the angels came to announce the birth of Jesus to the shepherds, what, what did it say? The shepherds were terrified. They were scared out of their minds. And so this was not just, you know, the, the beautiful flowing robes and, oh, look, it's, this scared the fire out of, out of Zechariah. It was terrifying. I don't know if you'd ever actually want to see an angel because they were scary. They were scary to see the God's glory. I, I, I could imagine, I'm just kind of putting myself in Zechariah's spot here, but if I was Zechariah standing before, bowing before the altar of incense, right before the temple veil, and this heavenly being appeared, this angel of the Lord, I would be thinking, I've done something wrong. It, I'm, about, I'm about to die. Something's going to happen to me. And the first thing the angel says is, what angels always say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He says, don't be afraid, but... 
it, it, this is the first time, the first time in like 400 years since the prophet Malachi that God is about to speak. God is about to send his word through this angel to give Zechariah a word from God. He's about to say something to Zechariah. After 400 years of silence, when Zechariah is a, a faithful priest and all this is going on, he is about to give, he's about to give Zechariah a word. It says, the angel said unto him, first thing he says, fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife, Elizabeth, shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. He says, don't, don't be afraid. He says, the wait, the wait is over. Silence is, silence has ended. Your prayer has heard. Now think about this for a minute. This is where, where I want to get it, I want to get it down into your level. I wonder how long, I mean, pretty much you can imagine, he says, your prayer is heard. Elizabeth's going to have a son. So what prayer is he probably talking about? The prayer to have a son, the prayer to have a child. Now, being a priest at the altar of incense, Zechariah is probably his duty was to also pray for the redemption of Israel, to pray that God would come and redeem his people, deliver his people. And that's going to be bound up in the birth of John, who foretells the the coming of the Messiah. But Zechariah is old. The Bible says stricken in years. He's he's like I said, some people say as, as old as 80 years old. How long do you think Zechariah had been praying, he and Elizabeth, for, for a child, for a son? I mean, he didn't just start yesterday. 80-year-old folks don't just start to, I mean, you know, I'm going to pray for a baby yesterday. He'd probably been praying his whole life, I'd imagine, until since the time that he got married. But Elizabeth was barren. So how many years had his prayer been going on, coming up before God? And he continued to walk faithful. He continued to be in service to the Lord. He continued. This wasn't just some ritual guy like the Pharisees that Jesus rebuked. The Bible says that he was righteous and that they were walking in the commandments of God. And so how long had he been praying? I don't know. But the one thing I do know that his prayers, even though he'd probably been praying for years, I don't, I don't, you get usually a priest when you're 30 and then now he's stricken in years, whatever that means. He's an old man. How long he'd be praying? I don't know. But I do know one thing. It says that your prayers have been heard. It's not like, it's not like, well, I just heard you was talking to me yesterday. I just realized you wanted something. Okay, I'll give it to you. His prayers had been heard the entire time. The thing that we see is that as Israel was waiting for some, a sign from God, they were waiting for a word from God that they hadn't had in 400 years. Also, Zechariah was waiting for a word from God. He was waiting for his prayer to be answered. He was waiting for God to do something that he had been calling out to God to do, and it just hadn't happened yet. It hadn't happened all the way up until the time Zechariah was, was stricken in years. But it was about to happen, and the angel wanted, God wanted to tell Zechariah through the angel, look, your prayers have been heard. It may not come exactly when you want it, but it's going to come right on time. It's going to come right when God says. So even though Zechariah probably, I'm just putting myself in his place. He and his wife, Elizabeth, they were faithful all these years, even though they weren't getting what they wanted. They were faithful. They were serving. They were doing what God told them to do, even though they, they were calling out to God for something. And finally, at this, this old age, an angel shows up in the temple of the Lord and says, Zechariah, 
Your prayer has been heard. Elizabeth is going to have a son and you're going to name that son John. Now, if you're 80 and you've been praying your whole life for a child and at 80, an angel shows up and says, okay, now I'm going to give it to you. I, I can only think what I would be thinking. I would be like, well, thank you. Now that I'm 80, of course, that's not what John says. But understand, all of this is working together. You can, I mean, you know the story. You know what John's going to do. He's going to be John the Baptist, and he's going to pronounce the coming of the Messiah. And Jesus is going to come at the perfect time when, when he is perfectly needed. And he's going to, his ministry and his death and his resurrection, all of those things are going to work together at exactly the time that God has determined that they should. And he's going to redeem the world and Zechariah, all those years that he was praying, God, please give this to me. Please help me. And God, it seemed like he wasn't, but it seemed like God was silent through that whole time. God wasn't silent. God was hearing his prayer. God was, God was answering. He was speaking. He was walking in faith. But that whole time, it probably seemed to Zechariah and Elizabeth, God, where are you? But all of that worked together. For the redemption of you and I today. All of that worked together. Now, God didn't give Zechariah a roadmap and say, look, you're going to have to wait until this date when you're this time. As far as Zechariah knew, you know, God's ways are higher than our ways. He had to walk by faith. He just, he didn't have the plan. He didn't know, he didn't know how this was going to turn out. But he walked by faith. And now this angel tells him, look, your prayers have not gone unheard. And we can take that today. Understand, especially those who have been born again with the spirit of God inside of you. Understand you have God dwelling in you, dwelling with you. We're not waiting on a word from the Lord like they were in that day. We have God's fulfilled revelation, his complete word. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We are united with Christ. So there is no way you can tell me that if Zechariah, all this time he was hurting, all this time he was waiting, his prayers were heard. There's no way that you and I, born again by the Spirit of God, can say, God, where are you? God is hearing you. It may not come when you want it, but it's going to be there right on time. He will. He is working, like the Bible says, for your good in all things, even when you can't see it. If you were Zachariah and Elizabeth, you would 50 years before this have said, I want it now. Give it to me now. But if that would have happened, there would have been no John the Baptist to pronounce the coming of Christ. Who knows? It it would have messed up the entire timeline of what God, his redemption of the world. And so we're on his time schedule. He's not on our time schedule. And you know what? That's easy for me to say if I'm not the one praying for something. It's harder when it's harder when you're Zechariah and you're hurting. And there's something that I got. God, you've got to do this. You've got to come through. You've got to, you've got to touch my heart. You've got to give me peace about this or that or, or whatever's going on. It's harder to walk in faith knowing that God hears my prayers and God's going to keep his promise even though I can't see it when you're the one. And Zechariah, this angel comes and says, you're going to have a son. You're going to call his name John. And so he says, Where am I at? Verse 14. There we go. He says, and thou shall have joy and gladness, but not just you, not just you, Zechariah and Elizabeth. He says, and many shall rejoice at his birth. 
And then he describes what this John shall be. He says, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. He is going, you know the story. I mean, you know how he's great. He fulfills, he announces the Messiah. He is, Jesus himself came and said, among men born of women, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. But then he says something, he says, but those who are called least in the kingdom are greater than he. And so he says, he's going to be great before the Lord and he shall he great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. This means that he's going to be separated from from birth for service to God. The the drink, neither wine or strong drink. That was it's a, like a Nazarite vow. If you look in Numbers chapter six, you can read about that. And what they would do is they would vow not to like Samson and Delilah. Samson vowed he was a Nazarite. He was supposed to not drink anything, not cut his beard, not, you know, do these different things. And it was a vow of dedication to God for a certain time. Well, John wasn't going to be uh, wasn't going to be dedicated, so to speak, to God for this certain time. He was going to be dedicated to God from his from the mother's womb. He would be set apart. The Holy Spirit would be upon him to to minister, to to preach, to to give the word of God. He would be separated out as a minister of God, as a a, a prophet of God from birth. He said he's going to be that from his mother's womb. And he says, and many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. He is going to. What was John's message? Repent, repent, repent. Repent. That was John's message over and over again. And then he would baptize them in the Jordan. He was a prophet of repentance and he was calling forth for repentance because that is absolutely necessary before the coming of Christ. He came preaching repentance and announcing that one's coming after me and he is going to be the Messiah. I'm not worthy to tie his sandals, his, his, the laces of his sandals. He is going to baptize you with, with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I'm going to baptize you with water. But the, the lesson that we see over and over again through the ministry of John and through the ministry of Jesus is when there is no repentance, you are not prepared. For the coming of the Lord. You are not prepared. When I say the coming of the Lord, I'm talking about you cannot quote unquote accept Jesus. You can't be born again when there's no repentance. Repentance is the till that tills up the ground. So the spirit comes in and saves you. Belief, faith and repentance. I explained to the youth this way. Faith and repentance, faith in Christ and repentance from sin and dead works are two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. True repentance is always going to turn you to the Lord. That's what it says. He will turn the children of Israel to their God. True repentance will always turn you to the Lord. Repentance toward God. And true faith in God, true faith in the real Jesus, like we talked about last time, will always bring you to repentance. So it's two sides of the same coin. This is what the angel tells Zechariah. This is what's going to happen. This is what John's going to do. He's going to turn people. He's going to turn people to the Lord God. He's going to turn them in repentance. And John did. He came preaching. Repent. Repent. The Messiah is coming. And so let me hurry and get done. It says, uh, turn people and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, Elias, Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient and, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared 
for the Lord. Now, that's a whole lot said right there. And instead of instead of just going through and explaining to you, if, if I flip my Bible over, you don't have to flip with me. Just the very last chapter of the Old Testament, Malachi, the very last thing God says in the Old Testament, he says, behold, I will send. This is Malachi four or five. You can write it down, and read it later. It says, behold, this is the last two verses in the Old Testament. It says, behold, the last thing God says, I will send you Elijah, the prophet. Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, less so that I won't come and smite the earth with a curse. He says, I'm going to send him. He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers, turn the hearts of the children, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. He says, I'm going to send one to you. And so the angel here is making reference to the last promise that God gave in the Old Testament. And he's saying, this John is going to be the one. He is going to be the one that's going to fulfill this verse in Malachi. He is going to be God sending you a prophet. One last Old Testament prophet to point the way to the Messiah who's coming. One last voice in the wilderness before the Son of God makes his entrance into humanity. One last prophet. One last one speaking the words of the Lord before the Son of God came. He says, he quotes this, Zechariah being a priest would have absolutely known about this verse because this was the last promise that God made in the Old Testament. This is where Zechariah' Bible would have ended. There's one coming. And he's going to turn fathers to the children. He's going to turn children to the fathers, lest I come and smite you. And the angel says, this is the one. John is the fulfillment. And so he says, and I'm getting too excited about that. Uh, Y'all are looking at me like, I think that's a big deal. I enjoy that. Anyway, he says, and Zechariah said unto the angel. Now, think about this. This is amazing to me. Zechariah, maybe I'm having too good a time, but Zacharias is a priest. He's been a priest his whole life. Old guy. Of course, he's struggled, wants a child, but he's been faithful. He's, the Bible says he's righteous. He is he is, he knows the Old Testament. He's priest. He served God in the temple. He'd done all these things. He'd been praying. And then finally, an angel of the Lord shows up and God gives Zacharias a message saying, Hey, your prayers are going to be answered. And not only that, your son is going to be the one prophesied to be the voice in the wilderness that's going to be calling for the Messiah that's going to come. And Zechariah, the priest, faithful, righteous, it should be, he says, praise God, it's going to be great. But that's not what he says. He doesn't believe it. He says, it says, and Zechariah said unto the angel, whereby shall I know that? He says, how do I know it's going to happen? You can imagine if it's one guy, if it's one, if there was one guy who ought to believe when the Lord comes and says, I'm going to fulfill your prayer. I'm going to give you what you've been asking for. And not only that, it's going to be tied up in the redemption of Israel and the redemption of the entire world. If there's one guy who should be able to say, you know what? I trust that. I believe that it's Zacharias. But we see even this righteous man, the Bible says he was righteous. He he and his wife and they were walking. Even he has to fight with unbelief. Even he has to fight with a sinful heart. Even he has to fight to trust. So when we talk about Zacharias praying all those years, I don't want you to think that he was just this saintly man who just never sinned and just thought, here, 
Here you have, in the scariest place you can imagine, right before the temple veil, he's offering incense to God, he's praying, and God basically sends a messenger right before him. It's, it's a divine-looking messenger because it terrifies him. And he says, look, I, God is going to give you what you asked for. I don't know about you, but I, I think I could bring myself to believe it. If you saw, a lot of people think, you know, if I could just see, if I could, God, if you would just send me a sign, if you would just send me, you know, something, if you would just send me something, I could believe. That's not so. Because our hearts are sinful. They're wicked. And even Zechariah, they're in the temple. They're doing, offering the incense. An angel appears before him and he doesn't believe it. He says, how am I going to know? How am I going to know? And I, I love this part. I'm probably going to get too excited about this too. But it says, he says, and the angel answering, this is his answer. How am I going to know this is going to happen? He says, I am Gabriel. I mean, it's almost like, uh, who, who you think you talk to? He says, I'm Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and show thee these glad tidings. His answer is, I am Gabriel. He says, how do I know that these things are going to happen? He says, I'm Gabriel. The last time, now remember, Zechariah is a priest. He knows his Old Testament. He has to minister into this all, all day, every day, all the time, for all these years. The last time we see the name Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, is in Daniel chapter 9. And Gabriel appears to Daniel to tell him what is going to happen in the last days and the coming of the Messiah and the coming of the one who will be the redemption of Israel, the redemption of the world. So he's not just saying, hey, I'm Gabriel, I got authority. He's saying, I'm Gabriel. I'm the one who showed this prophecy hundreds and hundreds of years before you're born. I'm the one coming to tell you this is going to be fulfilled. He said, I'm the one who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent here. I didn't just pop in to say hi and to tell you, hey, God's going to take care of everything. Don't worry about it. I'm God himself sent me. He said, I'm the one that stands in the presence of God. And he says, and I am sent to speak to thee. I'm sent to speak to thee and show thee these glad tidings. And he says, but hey, you want a sign? Okay. And behold, he says, verse 20, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words, which shall be, not may be, but shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias were almost done and marveled that he tarried so long. They knew something had happened because it doesn't take that long to do what he was going to do. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. All right. Now, remember this. Listen. 400 years they had waited on a word from God. Nothing. No prophet. No nothing. Is God still with us? Is he still going to speak to us? For who knows how many years Zechariah and Elizabeth have waited for a word from God. God, are you going to give us what we've been asking for? Are you going to give us what our hearts have been desiring? Are you going to just show it and just tell us yes, no, maybe? Are you going to tell us anything all of this time? And then in one night, believe it was the evening sacrifice, in one night, Zechariah is given this message in the midst of the temple. He's given a vision of this angel that says, not only am I going to give you a son, 
Not only are you going to have the son, but your son's going to be tied to the redemption of Israel and the world. He is going to be the fulfillment of prophecy. He is going to be the one who uh, I, I showed Daniel way back in the Old Testament that he was going to come. All of this, the greatest news you could possibly imagine. Zechariah comes busting out of the temple. All these people are sitting there praying. They're knowing something's happened. He has, Zechariah has the greatest message that you could ever have. He has something so exciting and earth shaking to tell the people of Israel and he can't speak. Can you imagine the game of charades that went on outside the temple? He, because of his unbelief, because of his unbelief, he can't tell them. He can't tell them what he wants. I mean, they're standing outside the temple. It's going to say here in a little bit that he goes home after his, after his service had done. And then later on in the, in the next section, you're going to see that he has to write the name. He said, what are we going to name the baby? So he's silent throughout the whole pregnancy. He, so he, what are we going to name the baby? He has to write out John because he still can't talk. Zechariah, because of his unbelief in that moment, he can't tell them the message that they've been waiting on for 400 years. Do you see? Do you see that you and I, we have this message. We have the message that there's people out there waiting on. They're, they're may, maybe not righteous, maybe not like Zechariah was righteous in that sense, but maybe, maybe not seeking after God, calling for God, maybe not even looking for the answer in, in Christ or in scripture or anything, but we have the answer. We have the gospel that is the answer to all the sin, to all the sickness, to all the ailments. It may not, it, it's going to end up in eternal life where no one is going to be sick. No one's going to be, it, no matter what the problem, no matter what's going on, the gospel is the answer. And we have that message. Why do we fail to go and speak it? Why do we fail to go and live it? It's the sin of unbelief. It's the sin of unbelief. Not exactly the way Zechariah had it, but it's this, if you really believed, if you really believed that you had the message of eternal life, I'm talking about real eternal life. If you really believe that the people that in your life, the, your coworkers, your family, your relatives, if you really believe that they're a heartbeat away from death and could spend eternity in a devil's hell, if you really believe that, you would be speaking that message. You would be given that message. I mean, you can imagine if you knew. I had one time I was doing this. I was talking to a guy on the phone and uh, we were talking about we're talking about the gospel. We're talking about way, the way to preach the gospel and how, you know, maybe you shouldn't be such a you shouldn't be so loud. and You shouldn't be so offensive and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I, I like to just I like to just kind of, you know, make it friendly and, and, and all that kind of, you know, just whatever. And, and I said, well, the, the, here's the best way to explain it. If you preach the gospel, if you witness to somebody in your, in your office or in your school or in your home or wherever you're at, if you're presenting the gospel, you need to present it like it's September 10th, 2001, and you're on the 101st floor of the World Trade Center talking to those people and you know what's going to happen tomorrow. How would you present the gospel to them? Would you say, oh, God has a wonderful plan for you. 
Oh, he is going to be such a great friend to you. He's going to treat you so well and he's going to be good. But if you knew, all those things are true maybe, but if you knew tomorrow was the day on the 101st floor of the World Trade Center, tomorrow was the day that all these people, if they're here, they're going to, they're going to perish. How would you preach the gospel? Would you give it to them in that ushy gushy kind of pleasant way or would you say please you need to understand you've got to have christ you've got to trust in him you've got to repent of your sin you would give it to them with urgency i can imagine zechariah outside the temple trying to tell him it's here what we've been waiting on is here if only he would have believed when the word of god came to him today you and i don't have to wait on an angel to tell us anything. In times past, God spoke through the fathers, through the prophets, but he's spoken to us in these last days through his son. That's Hebrews chapter one, verse one. He's given us his word. It's right here. He's given us his word. You don't have to wait and ponder. You don't have to, you don't have to hope against hope and just ask, wish God would speak and wish God. He has spoken He's given us the gospel, given us his word. And you need the urgency of understanding that today you, you might be walking out into eternity tomorrow. Someone you love might be walking out into eternity tomorrow. As soon as this is over, uh, the next verse, let me just read these and we'll close. It says, when he came out, he could not speak to them. They perceived that he'd seen a vision. For he beckoned unto them. He's trying to sign to them and remain speechless. Last two verses. And it came to pass as soon as the days of his ministration means his service in the temple were accomplished. He departed to his own house. He went home. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. It came to pass and hid herself five months saying, thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked upon me to take away my reproach among men. It almost seems like he couldn't even tell Elizabeth. She's not praising for the redemption of Israel or anything. She's praising because God has finally given me. At 80, at 80, I don't know, would you be, okay, I'm not going to say that, but at 80, she's praising God for a son. But you see, right after this, as soon as his service was done, they go home, the promise begins to be fulfilled. As soon as it's spoken, it begins to be fulfilled. And so the promises that you and I have in the gospel are real and they're true. I don't know if this message makes much sense to you at all, but we have the word of God. God, just like he told Zechariah, he hears your prayer. He's heard your prayer. He may not have, he may, if he hadn't said yes and he hadn't said no, he may say, wait a minute. And that's hard. It's hard for me. It's hard for you. He has heard your prayer if you are one of his. If you're not, it says, Psalm sixty-six, eighteen. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I regard iniquity, sin, if I hold on to my sin, if I regard iniquity in my heart, Psalm 66, 18, look it up. The Lord will not hear me. Today, you and I, you had a choice to make. Trust in Christ. Repent of your sin and trust in him. And understand that you will be brought in Christ into relationship with God. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you've given to us. All that-